Blog Talk Radio. Yo, this is your boy, G-Ski Rocks. And this is going out to the lovely, lovely women of the world. I know sometimes you have to make a hard decision. But I want you to think about this. Babies didn't 
Wong. I am broadcasting a very special recording of Pro-Life Fridays Radio tonight. It is Wednesday, November 6th. This will be also rebroadcast on November 8th. Hopefully I can manage that, but the link will still be up on Friday, and it will point to this very show. So welcome to the show, everybody. We're going to have a shortened show uh, because I won't be available on Friday to record a live show. We're going to record a special version of the show today, and it's mostly going to be commentary because we have so much news that has happened that I want to get to and be able to talk about with our loyal and loving Pro-Life Fridays audience. Uh, But first things first, let's go to the Lord in prayer and give this time over to him. Our Heavenly Father, thank you. This has been a wonderful day, quiet, interesting, and I feel very blessed today. And Lord, I ask that you would take this time and help me to communicate the important things that we need to know, the insights that you have given me to relate to others uh, so that I don't take credit for myself, Lord. All the glory belongs to you. And I thank you for my friends who are continually part of the show, whether they are, excuse me, um, on live with me on the air or not. Uh, We are a family that uh, sticks together, prays together, and is together in spirit and in truth and in worship of you. So I want to thank you for this time and pray for the the time we have, that it will be led by you and productive. In your holy son Jesus' name, amen. And our scripture we always read, and which is the cornerstone of Pro-Life Friday's radio, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, which reads, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, this show kind of had to happen tonight. And the reason why it had to happen is we were going to take a take a break on Friday uh, because I have an event that I'm going to for Faith Descent Ministries and we plan to just take a vacay day but the current events that have happened over the last week have been so pressing that it bears a Pro-Life Fridays radio commentary on so it's not going to be a terribly long show but it is going to be a very very full show And I want to make a few things clear. This program is about pro-life issues. And like I have said many times before, pro-life issues are not just social issues. I have heard time and again and gotten the look and we've all, whoever has been in the pro-life community, has all got, have, we've all gotten the look. You know what I'm talking about. The look that moderates and people who just don't see pro-life issues as being very important give, we give to us pro-lifers, kind of says it all. The look is, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're going to make an issue out of something so uh, that is just a social issue, like abortion or like gay marriage. Um, Let me address it this way. We have spent time and again, show and again, explaining to the American public that social issues are political issues as integral to the functioning of this country as any fiscal policy in existence, as any foreign policy in existence, any domestic policy in existence, any energy policy, transportation, education, you name it. Social issues are not just social 
issues, when they involve the very lives of Americans. They are not just social issues. When they are fundamentally economic issues, because these decisions that politicians make on social issues affects our country's economics. Far more affects our country's economics far more than these issues are being given credit for. What do I mean by that? Let's take abortion, which is predominantly what we talk about on this show, but not all that we talk about. But abortion is a predominant issue on the show because it is legal. And how does abortion affect this country's economics well since 1973 when Roe v. Wade was decided by the Supreme Court of the United States we have had no less no fewer than 55 million Americans killed by abortion that is more than all the wars in human history put together When we talk about the massive loss of life in successive generations of Americans, excuse me, we are talking about a huge loss in the American workforce, in the American intelligentsia, in the American academic world, in the American household, and on the streets of America, up and down, left and right. And here we're staring at, down the barrel in our country of, an, of social security insolvency. The, the teeter-totter that is, the economic teeter-totter that is Medicare and Medicaid, which is being driven over the cliff by socialized medicine, the impending socialized medicine, sort of socialized medicine, medicine light in Obamacare, and it has not yet occurred to our country's economists, certainly not those on the left, that an increased workforce and an increased population of the United States is what fuels this country's economic prosperity. When we undercut our labor force and our intellectual hold, when we, when we, to put it mildly, when we eliminate minds that otherwise would have lived from this country, our country suffers. There is no such thing as a mind that is lost that doesn't ultimately hurt the community it should have been born into, he or she. So that is why the premise of this program and this broadcast and this entire show, Pro-Life Fridays Radio, is to show that social issues are not just social issues. And anybody who says just social issues is very, very mistaken to the peril of the future of this country, of any country for people who say the same thing. I can say the same thing about how slavery was a very important social issue But I don't think that anybody would ever say nowadays that it is or was just a social issue. Our country's, well, mostly the south, southern states, their entire economic foundation was built on slavery. It's not just a social issue, and neither is abortion. There are some serious 
repercussions to those things that we tolerate and legalize in our society today that touch on the very lives of human beings, deciding who should live and who should die and who is useful and who is not. Some serious repercussions. We are reap 40 years of Roe v. Wade has sown. The trouble is we don't realize it. I don't know that we'll ever realize it as a country. I hope that we do. But there are forces at work in this country, mostly from the left politically, that don't want you to see. They're pulling the wool over our eyes because they don't want you to see the larger, broader impact that a social issue like legal abortion has. They don't want you to see it. Because if you saw it for what it was, in its entirety, there is no way any common sense individual, libertarian, liberal, conservative, it doesn't matter, anybody with a conscience, anybody who knows what human life really is, anybody who sees that murder is wrong will see that abortion is murder. Okay, so uh, with that having said, I'm going to go back and say one last thing uh, to tie over from Friday's show about the Oklahoma couple that traveled to Houston, Texas, uh, to obtain a late-term abortion. And the whole story was on MSNBC. That the whole story was to create the sob story about them, and not just about them. It was also about a few Republican pro-abortion politicians <laughs> from the state of Oklahoma uh, who wants to really tug at people's heartstrings and make them sympathize with the fact that this couple could not obtain a late-term abortion within the state of Oklahoma. This real sob story. And the bottom line is what the article was meant to say, is that, oh, Oklahoma really needs to loosen up its abortion restrictions because it is making it so hard, so hard, hard for women to kill their unborn children. Well, I'm sorry. People rationalize and fantasize about how much better their lives would be if they didn't have a complaint that they want to be able to kill that child without going to jail. And that's essentially what this MSNBC story is trying to make you think. That's what this couple wants. It's obviously what MSNBC wants. And it is what three pro-abortion Republicans, they cherry-picked to talk about it in this article. It's also what they want to roll back the actual progress made in Oklahoma to limit the number of abortions done in that state for the sake of the lives of the unborn, for life and death, for life and death. How hard is it to understand that this is an issue of life or death? To restrict the number of people who die within the borders of their state and MSNBC wants you, the American public, to think that Oklahoma should loosen up its abortion restrictions. So they play up this sad story about a, a couple who doesn't have enough money to pay their bills, will have enough money to pay a late-term abortionist thousands of dollars and take three days of their time and effort longer to drive can obtain the death of their child. All for many reasons, none of them good. We went over a few of them last week. The bottom line being abortion was going to be the right choice for them because they couldn't live with a special needs child. 
having three children of their own. I'm sorry. There is such a thing as getting help. There is such a thing being creative and living with circumstances that are beyond your control, coping and finding a way to triumph over difficulties. I have all the sympathy in the world, don't get me wrong, for this couple who was facing difficult times with wife and husband both being unemployed but getting a whole lot of welfare, already having three children to take care of, and living in a state, uh, I mean, I, I, that, is just, that is just beyond reprehensible. I have all the sympathy in the world for them having to deal with difficult circumstances. That's why, as a Christian, I would offer them help. Not help to destroy a member of their family, but help into helping everybody live as long and fruitful of a life as humanly possible, given their circumstances. What this couple gave up in talking to MSNBC and allowing them to make them into some kind of pseudo-cancer story is to, what they did was to remove any notion that this couple was a victim of any circumstances. They created their own mess, and they made it worse by getting a late-term abortion. I don't wish any harm on this couple at all. I just want the truth to be spoken. So don't get me wrong here. I know some of you out there are going to listen to the story and say, oh, what a hater. I'm not hating on anybody. In fact, I hope this couple comes to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ and realizes that they can get healing for the death of the, their own child, their youngest child, their most vulnerable child, that they, in, with eyes wide open, Okay, so um, that's what I wanted to say about that. And uh, besides that, a lot has been going on. The first Tuesday of November is always endearing to me for, uh, for one main reason. It's Election Day. There are some important items of the news going on for sure. So let me spotlight uh, the big ones right now and give you just a tad of perspective on those, on those news stories um, from, for the show. So the governor's race in Virginia. Yes. Oh, yes. Big time pro-death, pro-abort Terry McAuliffe, former DNC chairman, is now governor-elect. But let's not give McAuliffe credit for the win. I don't. Let's not give McAuliffe credit for the win because it was an artificial three-way race with Democrats playing the tried-and-true hire-a-siphon strategy to take votes away from the conservative candidate. In this case, the liberal siphon was the so-called libertarian Robert Sarvis, and he did his job well, trying to be a dark horse candidate, but really a liberal shill. He, w- he successfully siphoned enough votes from the well-qualified and battle-tested Republican Ken Cuccinelli in order to give McAuliffe a narrow 2.5% victory. Yesterday, The Blaze reported that liberal Obama campaign bundler Joe Lymant, or Liamont, I'm butchering his name, but I really don't care at this point. Get over it. Joe Liamont dropped fistfuls of cash into the Libertarian PAC's piggy bank, which in turn paid four tons of Sarvis campaign material. And Sarvis went on to capture 6.6% of the vote. And who is Sarvis anyway? Well, 
let's just say he doesn't sound like any libertarian you've ever heard of. And let me we're to show you. In this article written by National Review Online, looking into who Robert Sarvis is, the question, is Sarvis a libertarian? And it says no. <laughs> nope. And why does it say nope? It says nope because during a interview, during an interview with uh, Reason Magazine, this uh, National Review uh, quotes a bunch of uh, part, a big part of that interview for Reason Magazine. So I'm scanning down um, to find this. Oh, here it is. For find this particular particular answer he gave to a question, and it really shows what Robert Sarvis really is and a libertarian he is not. It says, in a recent Reason interview, Sarvis explained that he was, quote, not into the whole Austrian-type strongly libertarian economics, preferring more mainstream economics. Well, hello. If he says that he's not a libertarian, not into libertarian economics, shouldn't that tell us that maybe he's not a libertarian? Oh, I don't know. I, you know, maybe there's just something wrong with the language that I'm seeing here. Oh, I, I must have taken a wrong turn there. Uh, let's go on. The candidate expanded on this during an oddly defensive interview with MSNBC's Chuck Todd, in which he seemed put off not so much by strongly libertarian economics as by libertarian economics per se. As Governor Sarvis told Todd, he would be hesitant to cut taxes unsure as how, how he might reduce spending, and open to indulging the largest piece of federal social policy since 1965 by expanding Virginia's Medicaid program. I am generally, he says, I am generally a critic of the Senate, oh, I'm sorry, the writer of the article says, I am generally a critic of the tendency of small government types to try to purge their ranks of those deemed sufficiently impure, but I must confess that this interview left me wondering whether Sarvis is in need of a dictionary. Indeed. The candidate who, lay, who ran as a libertarian doesn't sound like any libertarian any libertarian has ever sounded like before. In fact, when put his policies side by side to a liberal, liberal Democrat like Terry McAuliffe, they're like twins. How in the world, then, is he a third-party candidate worth any third-party ideas? Well, he was not. So that's only half of the story, though. <laughs> the other half is half of the GOP establishment, and self-appointed GOP guardians like Karl Rove worked to pull the rug out from under candidates that are seen as Tea Party friendly. We all know how the gods on Mount Olympus hate the Tea Party. Oh, yes. Both Democrats and Republicans. And it almost seems like the GOP more than the Democrats. According to the Federalist Sean Davis, the GOP sent $3 million Spent, I mean, spent $3 million for Cuccinelli, for Ken Cuccinelli's campaign to help promote him in the state of Virginia. But it is as opposed to the $9 million they spent in the previous gubernatorial race in 2009. Well, the bottom line is that the GOP could have won this race had they not become King David to Uriah the Hittite on the political battlefield. We've seen this before, haven't we? The push them out there and then pull back strategy? Yeah. The GOP is getting famous for that. Why am I telling you all this? Because what the GOP establishment hates more than anything right now, and it's not, okay, it's not the whole of the Tea Party, mind you, no. 
It's not. It is the strongly pro-life and opposition to same-sex marriage positions that Tea Party candidates have come to be known for. To them who have sacrificed their souls on the false altar of so-called broader appeal, air quotes, they believe the Democrat narrative that pro-life candidates are, well, here, let me read it from the Huffington Post directly. The problem, this is the Huffington Post, the problem with Cuccinelli and other Tea Party candidates is not that they are too conservative. It is that they are too radical. Their strident opposition to the federal government, extreme partisanship, closed-mindedness. Now, this is where I think, this is where you insert pro-life and against same-sex marriage. Insert that under (laughs) closed-mindedness. And ideological zeal makes them either unable to win or unable to prove prudently govern. This is HuffPo, okay? So um, being strongly pro-life, pro-traditional marriage, and even being, oh my gosh, reliant on science to assert a healthy skepticism against climate change mania, which HuffPo went on to harp about, I mean, HuffPo went on to harp on about in Cuccinelli's case. That's radical? Radical? Well, this, this is what I have to say about that radical comment. Uh, In the years leading up to the Civil War, a sect of the Republican Party became a thorn in the side of both establishment Republicans and Democrats alike. They wanted complete abolition of slavery and full constitutional recognition of free men and slaves as equal to any white citizen in the Union. They were seen as having, and I quote, strident opposition to the federal government, meaning the status quo at the time, extreme partisanship, closed-mindedness, and ideological zeal. End quote. They were known. <laughs> they were known as the radical Republicans. Well, now it seems like we have come full circle, ladies and gentlemen, to think that as much as Thaddeus Stevens was a committed radical Republican back in 1860, that he would feel just as comfortable being called a radical today, a radical Republican. And this leads us to the case of Governor Christie, governor-elect of New Jersey. Congratulations. You know, I, you know, chop one up for Republicans in New Jersey. Both parties are looking at him though, as the poster boy, the poster boy personality for the GOP of the future. Well, I'll give him this. He's plain spoken to the point of brash, and I like a leader who doesn't BS people. He's conservative enough for New Jersey and New Jersey's problems. But, here's my but, his New England moderation doesn't cut it on the national scene because the people who are dying in this country for no other reason than merely existing to begin with won't benefit from a half-Republican, half-Democrat meh on U.S. legislation. Nobody has asked him yet, but what are the odds that he would take a strong stance against legal abortion past 20 weeks gestation? Hmm? What are the odds? If Chris Christie is supposed to be the future face of the GOP, then let me tell you, let me tell all you black conservative Republicans right now that the party has left you in the dust of history. If you do not work to bring the party back to its roots, 
the roots as articulated by Frederick others, you won't have a party that represents your stake in the politics of this country. What what will end up being is what was gained through war and hardship will be lost. Don't allow the GOP to get to that point. We are almost there, but we're not there yet. There's always hope. I always hold out hope. But I'm saying this from the bottom of my heart. Don't let it get to that point. The Republican Party was built on political equality and advancement of colored people. As a colored person myself, this party did what pretenders like the NAACP is trying to do. It was already done. But I am not able to carry that torch by myself. I wish I could. I, however, I claim the intellectual and spiritual legacy of Frederick Douglass. But truth be told, he didn't have me in mind when he was alive, but he did have fellow black men and women like him. The black community has to recapture what he stood for and recapture the party that was his. That is the way forward. To go really forward. Not the fake kind of forward of a a leftist socialist so-called It's not Lenin's forward. It's not Stalin's forward. It's not Mao's forward. Anyway, I digress. And now, now on to the icing. The icing on the cake. I like icing on the cake. Especially today. You're going to find out why. (laughs) Wendy wears a catheter Davis. State Senator from Texas is on full-on PR mode as she makes moves to run for governor of the state of Texas. Long shot, you say. Well, so was Terry McAuliffe. <laughs> all this is all part of the stated liberal game plan to turn Texas from red to purple in the next decade. And they can do it, too. I believe that. They did it in Virginia. Why? Because, unlike many conservatives, liberals and regressives are relentless in their ideological directives. Conservatives will just sit back and not mind this quote from a page in history. And it's not from Thomas Jefferson. I'll tell you who it's from. And the quote, and in its, entire, in, in its entirety, is eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Power is ever stealing from the many to the few. The manna of popular liberty must be gathered each day or it is rotten. The living sap of today outgrows the dead rind of yesterday. The hand entrusted with power becomes either from human depravity or esprit de corps, the necessary enemy of the people. Only by continued oversight can the Democrat in office be prevented from hardening into a despot. Only by intermittent agitation can a people be sufficiently awake to principle not to let liberty be smothered in material prosperity. Often attributed to Thomas Jefferson is actually a quote from the American abolitionist and what was called a liberal activist back then, Wendell Phillips, who was who was speaking to members of the Massachusetts Anti-Slavery Society in on January 28th, 1852. So, oh, yes, that quote is right in the kisser. It is so, it was so applicable then, and it is so applicable right here, right now. Conservatives in the past, oh, I don't know, two decades maybe, I think, need to heed this admonition. They needed to heed this admonition to hold liberty to the highest bar possible. What has happened instead is that politicians, particularly Republican ones, 
have been suckered, suckered to lower the bar of what it means to be free and brought into the liberal sales, and they bought into the liberal sales pitch that we can live with less liberty and freedom and equality and still call it liberty. And like a Democrat clone walking out of some sci-fi movie, Wendy Davis is now redefining her totally pro-abortion stance as, quote-unquote, pro-life in the attempt to appeal to the people of conscience. Life site news. I'm sorry. Lifenews.com reports. Abortion activist Wendy Davis tells Texas voters, I am pro-life. Oh, really? She's quoted as saying, I am pro-life, borrowing the label. She's borrowing the label from anti-abortion activists. (laughs) She says, I care about the life of every child, every child that goes to bed hungry, every child that goes to bed without a proper education, every child, Texas accent, every child. That go, I can't do it. I'm sorry. I didn't rehearse it, so I can't do it. Every child that goes to bed without being able to be a part of the Texas dream. Every woman and man who worry about their children's future and their ability to provide for that future. I care about life, and I have a record of fighting people for people above all Well, the article goes on to say, during a speech recently, Davis called abortion sacred ground. Ooh, where have we heard that before? Nancy Pelosi. And indicated she may run for governor. Later, she indicated she thinks pro-life women don't understand abortion. And she showed she has no understanding of the Kermit Zosnell case. Hmm, I can vouch for both of those things. Not telling women, telling pro-life women, (coughs) hello, hello, right here, that I don't understand abortion. There's nothing to understand that it hasn't already been said. And and not having an understanding of the Kermit Gosnell case. Well, listen, (laughs) Wendy Davis wants you to believe in her redefinition of the word pro-life. She wants you to believe that pro-life means a better life for those already living. Yes, up is down, back is front, left is right. (laughs) Left is never right. Just life is death. Because being pro-life to her is still pro-abortion. Kind of convenient, maybe if she's forgotten who Kermit Gosnell is. Kermit Gosnell, who was the uh, inspiration and the whole point of the bill she spent 11 hours filibustering. The question is, will she and her soon-to-be-backed-by-Democrat machine succeed in bending moderates and slightly more conservative voters to adopt her revisionist vocabulary? Will they? Will she? Will voters fall for this strategy of lowering the bar of liberty for all again, just like all other Democrats that have come before her? Like what is happening with the Unaffordable Lack of Care and Patient Victimization Act? Everyone but regressives knows that socialized medicine never works. But instead of talking about repeal, we have had to move the bar to defund. And when that failed, we've had to move the bar to now just maybe defunding parts of it. And that is pathetic. It didn't fail. We didn't fail to repeal it because people want to keep it. Failed to repeal it because our politicians... Well, for one thing, we don't have a majority in the Senate, and it is strictly a partisan vote when it comes to repealing Obamacare. But why do we have 
Why do the Democrats have a majority in the Senate? Because most of us in America have bought the liberal revisionist vocabulary. And that is, that is pretty pathetic. So it is game on for Wendy Davis. Let me tell you this. Not on this show, though. Nah, not here. I have sat through enough living room rantings of my own about how regressive Democrats play the American public for fools. And it's not happening in my living room anymore. You are going to hear the truth from PLSR if you don't hear it anywhere else. Abortion is what liberal regressives and leftists have as a ritual human sacrifice. It is integral to the religion of their party. And they are going to do their best, as they have all along, to convince you, America, that what they believe is not what it is and is not that bad. I am incredulous. That people can be convinced that abortion is something other than murdering unborn children. When that is what it is from the bare naked clinical perspective. Anything else that tries to persuade you to think that abortion is about bodily rights is at best a bag full of fecal matter pretending to be an important argument. At worst, at worst, I mean, it is getting the public to assent, assent to and support human sacrifice. Human sacrifice, something I thought we left behind in the Bronze Age. Well, that's it, folks. Um, be listening for more insights on the news from the pro-life perspective right here on PLFR, because that's where we're going with this. We have our eye keenly fixed on what's happening in politics and what's happening from the pro-life perspective, because you need to know. You need to know all these things that are being hidden from you in the mainstream media, and the insights that nobody, I just don't find being said out loud anywhere else. Sometimes people will say parts of it. Sometimes people will say more than others. But please, be listening for the pro-life perspective from PLFR. And, oh, I said this was the most endearing week of the year because of elections. Well, that's only half true. I have another reason. For one reason, I have two, actually. It's also my birthday today. Yes. So I will close this out with a little birthday, a little birthday something, something, a little birthday jingle, maybe. Yeah. So uh, I really liked this. I, I was all about minions for some reason this afternoon. So I had to Google and search for minion happy birthday something or other. And this is what I found. It may be just a little bit not enough, but I'll take it. All right. Good night, folks. Uh, we'll see you next week.
Your hands up, open wide. 